Welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Michael Grothy. Hello. Who's, who's kind of been the host. You've, you've I know, I'm the, I'm the main host. January. I'm here, I'm Michael Grothy here with my co-host, Alex Kessler. Yeah, you could have been, you can do the announcing now. I can no, just lay fine. back. Now I have to do with the music, music, music. No, Enjoy it's fine. my baby Yoda you're the, Taco Bell hoodie. You're the music, music, music man. I, I am the music man. The, no, the music, music, music man. The music, music, not the music man. Though. No, just the music, music, music man. What, what definitive skill difference between those two things is there? Well, the music man plays music, Got and it. the music, music, music man says music, music, music. Got it. Okay, yeah, I don't play music. That's not a thing I can do. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Got it. Now I understand. So, welcome. I'm back. Uh, out of the four weeks that were January, I was in town for one of them. I've seen Hong Kong. I've seen Germany. I've seen London. I've wow, been, I've, I'm back. I'm back, baby. Welcome back. It was my birthday yesterday. It was your birthday last Friday. So yep. since uh, last, it's a birthday episode of Masters of Modern. This is the birthday episode of Masters of Modern. Ben's birthday yep. is not. Is like, That's why he's not on the episode. Yes, yeah, we we were like, mm. it's got to wait for his birthday. Yeah, it's only <laughs> only invited on your birthday. Um, also, happy birthday to Shivam Bot and uh, your wife as well. Was birthday? Yeah, just a lot of notable birthdays, birthdays yeah, this yeah. week. Which we're like Facebook, but without all of the. Badness that is Facebook. Beginning of each Masters of Modern episode, we have to do community birthday announcements. Yes, yes. New segment. Uh, let us know what you think about it. <laughs> um, I uh, am like vaguely jet lagged. I uh, am a year older and I am now wearing a Taco Bell Baby Yoda hoodie. Sweater. Sounds like life is good. Yeah. Uh, there will be uh, some, some, some quick announcements. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Kess Wiley. I'm at a Dudard, D-U-D-A-R-D-D. And you can find both of us and or Ben uh, as the podcast at the MMCast. Ben is also uh, on Twitter and doing way more magic stuff there uh, at Ben Bateman Media. Um, also, if you're watching right now on YouTube, please like. Uh, those are the important things. Then also comment with what your... Uh, what you think was the coolest deck list you saw at the PTs this last weekend um, and all of that good stuff as well as keep tuned. So Ben's going to start doing, uh, he's bringing back 10 minutes of magic. So that was a series he did on the anchor app back in the day. It was like an audio only 10 minutes of magic thing. He's trying to bring it back. They to the aren't always channel. 10 minutes. They're just however long it takes him to finish his thought. But maximum the name of the show is 10 minutes of magic. <laughs> he's yes. That's actually his co-host on that show. Guy named 10 minutes. Hmm. Not, not, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm tired. D minus. We're, we're going to deal. I'm going to drink some of this coffee. Last but not least, make sure to check out the Patreon. Uh, there's a lot of cool content there. Um, we released the raw version of the episode. Some of the rambling that may or may not have happened during this intro that Marshall cut out is there in its entirety. Um, and you also get access to the Discord. Uh, on our Discord, there's a private section only for uh, Patreon members. Uh, there's also other tiers. If you donate $30, we'll send you a random free thing. Uh, this month is a T-shirt with my face on it. Um, the, nice. The, uh, every year, there's a new shirt that uh, my office gets for me. I, I generally pay for it, but uh, that is my face on a shirt drinking a thing. Wearing a shirt with my face on it, drinking a thing. Wearing this a shirt, is the third with my year. On it. So this he's year. he's wearing. Yeah, he's he's. It, it's a shirt with his face, but his face is wearing a shirt of him. Yeah, yeah I'm wearing a, a shirt. So that that's for uh, members. There also, I think we're trying to figure out if we can make that into a merch item as well. So there could be merch that you could pay for just straight up wow. at some point soon. Uh, get hyped. Uh, so yeah, so those are those are the things. Those are those are all the announcements. Cool. Uh, so today we're talking about today is actually technically 
This is no longer the Masters of Modern podcast as of right now. It's the Masters of My Pioneer podcast. Wow. We're, we're pioneering into new formats, specifically one. Uh, there were two PTs this last weekend. Uh, one was in Brussels. and one These are players tours. Players tours. So with the new organized play system, they do three players tours that are regional. They're larger than previous pro tours. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, the winners from these will go to a players tour finals which it's not exactly clear what's more like an old pro tour is it the players tour finals since that's like the highest tournament and there's three a year instead of four or the players tour but anyway there these are big professional level events bigger than a grand prix because you had to be invited uh, or not bigger more prestigious than a grand prix because it was invite only not a big open tournament like a grand prix um, and, the, and the format of this event was more similar to what old pro tours and old mcs were right where there was a limited portion and a constructed portion Yes, yes. It, it was the structure of the tournament was similar to the Pro Tour, but it was easier to qualify for. But there were three of them. Yes. Yeah. I, I To me, this feels more like just the next step on a Pro Tour and then they've added a now ultra yes. mega tournament. Yes. Like, so, so, yeah, they basically the Pro Tours were too small. So this is their way to expand them, but still have a smaller tournament that feels like an older Pro right. Tour. It's just... Well, this is like the Megazord, right? And then the Megazord combines. Oh, so with this the is Dragon like Zord this was like the, the saber tooth tiger, and like yeah, like Brussels yeah. is the saber tooth tiger, and like Nagoya is the mammoth, right? And then there's like a, the Mast Mastodon. I don't know, dog. T Rex. T Rex is the yeah. <laughs> is that's gonna be Phoenix? Uh, yeah. Is the uh, is the T Rex? Yeah, okay. yeah. And they're all gonna combine into one Megazord. Megazord, which okay. is the main pro tour. But they were all, the the two that happened already, Pro Brussels and Nagoya, were both Pioneer. So yeah. that's why we want to talk about Pioneer, because there's a lot of hot Pioneer stuff. And I actually just realized that I didn't have it up on my computer, but there was also a, a Star City Games team tournament that was one player standard, one player Pioneer, one player modern. So there is even more Pioneer hotness, mm -hmm. although the results from that tournament are a little bit odd because it's you win or event. lose as a team, right? So you could lose nine of your rounds as Pioneer, but it doesn't matter because your other teammates carry yeah, you or, or whatever, player, right? So it's a little bit hard to get a meta read based on that. We'll talk about some of the cool decks from that as yep. well as soon as I pull them up. But um, but the PTs are like the main big. And, and what's really interesting about this weekend is this is kind of the first real premier stage pioneer tournaments, right? And, yeah. and you know, Wizards went through that whole period where you know, all of fall and the beginning half of winter was meant to be kind of the trial period for the format. And now with these um, players tours, we've walked into a real world of Pioneer being a paper tournament organizational force. Right. I mean, there have been Star City Games tournaments for Pioneer already that have been bigger, like yes. Opens and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But this is the first, like, professional level event, like, right. a, a, you know, Grand Prix Top 8 or Pro Tour or whatever, where it's like, you know, the best of the best. Right, right. And so, so you know, it's, it's very interesting to see the results. Uh, going into the event, um, Blue Black Inverter was the deck everyone kind of knew was a thing. So for those who don't know, there's a card called Inverter of Truth, who I famously, well, I'll talk about famously what I did with it in a second. But basically, it's two black black for an Eldrazi. Uh, it's flying and devoid, so it technically is colorless. It is a 6-6. Six, six. Um, when it enters the battlefield, exile all cards from your library uh, face down, then shuffle all cards from your graveyard into your library. Um, and it 
then combos with the bevy of different cards that they've printed that let you win if you have zero cards in your deck. Um, most recently, and the thing that really put it over the top was Thassa's Oracle. Right. Um, and obviously, there's Jace Wilder Mysteries. And right. Those are the two that are legal in Pioneer. Lab right. Maniac is not legal in Pioneer. But I think even if he was, he would not be played in this deck. Yeah, he's not as good as the other two options. Because so. Jace is a value engine that's good without the winning right. side. You can just slam Jace on turn four. Start fueling your delve, draw some cards. Like, it's just not an embarrassing card to just cast. And, I mean, and, it's not amazing, but it's not embarrassing. And, and the amount of cards that I can list that are played in main decks as six ofs, if possible, that kill um, uh, Lab Maniac right. is very long. And the amount of things that do the same for Jace is much, much Right. Longer. It's just like Murderous Rider, Hero's Downfall, basically, yeah. are the only ways to get rid of a Jace in response to winning the game. Whereas Lab Maniac, if you're like, okay, play Lab Maniac, opt, or whatever, and then they kill your Lab Maniac, you lose the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, we discussed this on our hot take, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you can all see on YouTube. Yeah, there's a hot take going over kind of why Thassa's Oracle is better than Lab Maniac. And um, I think Jace also is better than Lab Maniac, unfortunately. The only tricky part with it is that it is triple blue. So right. you have to be pretty heavy blue to want to play Jace. Whereas and in Modern, if you want more than four Thassa's Oracles, you might be inclined to play Lab Maniac because uh, you might not be able to hit triple blue. The the funny story with Inverter of Truth, the, the Eldrazi, is that I spent an entire 15-hour flight from Hong Kong to here uh, brewing with it. I had like, this really dope deck idea that like was like, yes, I'm going to play this. And, just, and so many things from my graveyard are going to come into play. And then I landed because this was before it was on my phone. So I was using like some other four, six, four mana, six, six demon to like be the pretend. Oh, card. it was like when it got spoiled. Yeah, yeah it was but like it wasn't on like deck building apps yet. Correct. So I didn't actually have artwork of the card. So I was just like going off of memory before my flight took off. And you didn't uh, have Internet on the flight, I assume. Correct. No Internet. This right. is over Hong Kong. So right. you're just you're just in the middle of the Pacific, Pacific Ocean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I land and read that. Oh, it doesn't put your put your deck into your graveyard it exiles it <laughs> right yeah so like i was like how is this card not being talked about you can put like four vengevines into your deck on turn four and Jen like oh, cast of course you're like all a, about vengevines a memnite and like get go off with it like how how quick can i win with this card and then sadly it doesn't do that but it's back finally we have the tools to make it work and then it's now the best thing in pioneer um yeah so Notably, like six is a five or six of the decks six. in Nagoya. Yeah, were Demir Inverter. Uh, Brussels was actually a lot more diverse. Um, it, it had only two Demir Inverter mm -hmm. out of the top eight, which seems like a pretty reasonable. Now there, there were there in in Nagoya in the top eight. There were two flavors of the Inverter deck. The first one yeah. is the classic one that people kind of knew coming in, which was much more of a control classic, just blue black Demir shell that then just wins with the combo. Yeah, you um, like use disruption like Thought Seize and Thought Erasure to like rip up their hand so that they can't stop you from doing your thing. You're playing Dig Through Time to like kind of make your graveyard a little bit lighter, easier to win with Thassa's Oracle, not to mention find your combo. I mean, Dig Through Time really ties this deck together, I yeah. think, uh, because it allows you to kind of get rid of cards from your graveyard so you can win more quickly with Inverter after you play it, and it allows you to dig for your combo as like a one-two punch. And and so that that's that's kind of what everyone thinks, and that plays very similar to the Splinter Twin decks of Modern, right? Yeah, and, Where and Jace is really good in that deck as well because you're like a control deck that just can like draw a card every turn right. and answer all your opponent's threats with fatal pushes and stuff, and just kind of use it as like your janky Jace the Mind Sculptor that sometimes just wins the game. <laughs> right, right. And and if you look at like it, 
it kind of does what Splinter Twin used to do, right? You have two different angles of attack. You have the basic... Splinter Twin was much more of like a tempo build. Yeah. That like, oh, I can't kill... I can't react to stuff because if I mess up, they'll just win when they untap. And, right. And this has a similar mode. It's just it's a little bit more controlly than necessarily tempo. But you're still like on the back foot at every moment of the game because at yeah, any moment and it could just be like, I win. <laughs> and I've seen people playing this deck just like kill their opponent with combat damage from Inverter of Truth because it's a 6-6 six, six flying. Right. Once you've like torn up their hand and killed their creatures and you play Inverter and you like have a six card library or whatever, you just attack them four you times. You just attack them four times. Yeah, yeah or three <laughs> times if they've played a yeah, Shockland yeah. or something, right? Like sometimes you can just kill them because you've drained their resources so much and it's just, you just, you have a 6-6. Six, six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I will say that, yeah, like the lack of bolt snap bolt definitely makes the combat damage kill more difficult for mm-hmm. this deck than than Splinter Twin. Splinter Twin could very often just bolt snap bolt. And the problem was that you always had to be like holding up mana and like you right. couldn't ever tap out because they might twin you. And this deck has that, but it doesn't put as much pressure because of the lack of lightning bolt in Pioneer. It's something that's been interesting to me because I like haven't seen a lot of people react to this deck in modern being like, oh, we can just play this. Like, yeah. and, and part of it is you you do lose dig through time, right? You lose right. that part of the delf delf package, which is an important piece. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we're in modern. There's enough card pool available to figure out other workarounds, be it stuff that exiles your graveyard on purpose or stuff along the lines yeah. of like, uh, uh, what's his, what's the guy? What's the guy? It's Banana Man. Tassiger. Tassiger. You can play Tassiger. Yeah. Could and Tassiger. there were some of the Demir Inverter decks uh, that did well at these pro tours were, or players tours were playing um, like one Tassiger. Yeah, sure. It's not incredibly common, but it's also just a control piece that can beat them up, gives you right. kind of a secondary win con. Its ability is relevant when you're this kind of like, you know, sit back and have a bunch of mana untapped type control deck. Mm hmm. Uh, but I think people are probably going to try this in modern and being like a modern focused podcast that talks about pioneer. We always talk about kind of what can modern learn from pioneer and perhaps this is a deck that could get ported over into modern. Uh, you know, it, it's going to need some updates, but yeah, I think, I think like every card that's been banned out of pioneer we've talked about, and there was going to be a whole conversation at some point in this episode. on like, does this deck need to have cards banned out from it? But I do want to talk about the other flavor of it first. Um, but I think that like this maybe gives the Splinter Twin players the card that the combo they were looking for. And there's ways to like, you can splash red, right? Like you can bring in red. If you want to bring in the snap bolt snap plan that that deck had, like you don't lose a lot by having that with this kind of game plan. Um, I don't know there's a lot of really cool things that this deck does. And it's just, is very powerful. Now the other flavor out of Nagoya was there's a, a mono blue devotion version of the deck that is playing Gaddick, Gadwick, Gadwick, mm-hmm. not Gaddick. There's there's too many cards that are too similarly named. <laughs> Gadwick Teague the Wizard. Yeah, he uh, doesn't let people play uh, instants and sorceries over four mana uh, or X spells. Weirdly except enough, except himself. Except himself. <laughs> <laughs> he's in. He's legendary. You can't have two of them anyways. Uh, I'm trying to bring up. I the have list. I have definitely cast Gadwick uh, when I had a Gadwick on the battlefield because I wanted to draw cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Gadwick the Wizard doesn't let you do that. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> It's too good, Michael. It's too good. So it's playing Gadwick the Wizards, Harbinger of Tides, Merfolk Tris- Trickster, Thassa's Oracle. Like it's playing a lot of the Brazen cards. Borrower. Brazen Borrower. Playing a lot of the cards that like were very powerful, uh, spicily enough for Leyline of Anticipation. Yeah, I see some of the like blue-based Nykthos decks playing Leyline because it just supercharges your Nykthos. Right. In the same way that like the mono green deck that got Leyline of Abundance banned was doing the same thing with mm-hmm. Leyline. Now that deck could generate mana much more efficiently because you're like 
Leyland of Abundance into Elf that now taps for two mana and you have like extra devotion because you have these powerful one drops. Um, but this deck like uses Leyland of Anticipation in some of the same way and it gives you like a huge edge over like, you know, reactive decks where you can play on the end of their turn mm-hmm. and you I can mean, like tap out for a Gadwick on the end of your turn because tapping out for a Gadwick at sorcery speed is going to open you up to like maybe getting comboed out or maybe right. getting, you know, your opponent is able to resolve a key spell that like you can't come back from like a Nissa who shakes the world or something. But with Gadwick on your opponent's end step, uh, that's pretty nice. A, a X instant speed X spell draw card that then like provides some amount of stabilization, either in a blocker or life gain has been proven tap, to be or tap their or tapping things yeah. is like been proven to be very good. So giving Gadwick instant speed capabilities makes it uh, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and and I've seen, you know, with the Leyline game plan, there's even mono white, like I've seen new Heliod, um, Heliod based devotion lists playing the white Leyline or Oh, Sanctity? Sanctity. Main yeah, deck yeah, Sanctity? Yeah, yeah. That's deck cool. Because, like, that, that's a card that, like, in general is super relevant. And especially especially in, in a format where, like, the the two best interactive spells in the entire format are, like, unmistakably Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. Right. So you're going to see a lot of Thoughtseizes no matter what you're doing, and it, it prevents you from getting yeah, Thoughtseize. Yeah, they just, it, like, shuts that down, and, and yeah, it was it was terrifying actually <laughs> when i ran into it randomly on moto um but so this this deck and kind of one of the cool things that this deck can do is then make so much mana with nykthos that Jin gadwick instead of inverter of truths can act as its own like secondary win condition yeah sam black actually wrote about this deck on star city uh, a deck without inverter but it was playing thassa's oracle because it adds to devotion it smooths out your draws um and this you you it was a deck using Nykthos where like sometimes you could randomly win with Thassa's Oracle. Mm-hmm. You'd be playing like a typical mono blue devotion plan where you're like hitting them with creatures and brazen borrowers and playing the tempo game. But because Nykthos can generate so much mana with Gadwick, you can just draw your deck by like, you know, Gadwick for six. Next time I tap Nykthos, it taps for ten now. So I'm Gadwicking for ten. And then right. you're like, oops, Thassa's Oracle, I win. Right. <laughs> well, because it, it also it allows you to I'm correct that Thassa Oracle, it just matters that of the devotion number, your devotion number has to be higher than your deck, and then you win. Equal to or greater than, oh, yeah. Equal to or greater than. So so eventually, your just devotion is also at, at say, 10, plus you Gadwick for 10 a few times. You're now at such a high level that you're just like, right. whoops. And it, and it smooths out your draws because it always scries. So if you just play it into five, not scries, but if you just play it into five... Um, I know it's the hidden mode of Thassa's Oracle is you can play it when it doesn't win the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just have like five devotion or whatever on turn four and you just play it, it adds to devotion and then it just digs five cards deep and looks for your Nykthos or looks for your Gadwick or looks for whatever piece you're missing to do your thing. Looks for your Inverter of Truth even if you're playing that right. in your deck. Um, so I think Inverter is like a really cool card in this deck, but it also kind of highlights like one of the things you can do with two card combos is if you can make one of the cards just a playable card in your deck, you can just slot the combo in. Yeah. Well, that's that's what Splinter Twin ended up doing, right? Right. It's like that's what classically these decks when you see a two card combo that like both pieces are bad, that's a two card combo that is likely not to be good enough. But as long as one of them is fine or to right, good, like like basically where is Pestermite going to shine right in like a tempo deck so let's build a tempo deck that just has splinter twin in it right where is thassa's oracle going to shine 
outside of an inverter deck in either like a merfolk deck which there's not a lot of support for in pioneer mm-hmm. or in a devotion deck because it's blue blue and it counts your devotion it says devotion right on the card yep yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so because it shines in that deck you could just throw the other combo piece in and call it a day right like and like, that's kind of what we're seeing with heliod too is like people are building decks where heliod is good mm-hmm. and then ballista is just gonna also be good <laughs> and and yeah and and or the reverse right where like ballista is a good card right it's the moment i it was printed it was powerful in every format that exists and heliod is a little bit of a do nothing but you can make it work in different ways and it yeah. makes it more powerful and and that's something i'd actually be very interested to see in the future is does do merfolk decks start looking at these two cards as something to pick up because both of them do work within the strategy. You do have the issue of like in this deck, this was taking advantage of the fact that Gadwick plus Nykthos is kind of its own combo. Um, but if you just are playing Thassa's Oracle as a Merfolk two, two that scries one, three, sorry, two mana, one, three. Yeah. Um, that just scries, but then gets fun file to your lord. It's a wizard. Sure, yeah, it's a wizard too. Wizard's tribal is a thing in modern. Gadwick is a wizard. That's true. There's a wizard tribal version of this world. <laughs> that could be in Pioneer, right? Like, isn't most wizard? Tri- I guess there was wizard tribal in Time Spiral Block, but like most wizard tribal cards are in. And the good wizard tribal is in, is in Pioneer. Yeah. That's true. Snapcaster, you lose. He's a wizard. Cool yeah. wizard. You lose. You lose. Good wizards. Vendillion Click is also a good you wizard. Is Vendillion Click is Brazen is, Borrower is a rogue. It's a rogue. Guess Brazen Borrower is worse than. Not if you're trying to prowl, <laughs> which true. I know Ben probably <laughs> is at this moment. Uh, so that's Nagoya, which was very, very focused on Demir Inverter. Oh, yeah. I guess the other things that are important is that the top two deck car- decks were not Inverter. It was Bant Spirits versus Sram Oh, it is only Aras. five because we missed uh, Budakov on Mono Black Vampires. Yes, it is five. You're correct. Shram Aras going hot. Yeah, Ken Yukihiro was playing this deck. This deck is sweet. Uh, basically, Hateful Eidolon is a terrifying card. Uh, yeah, so the, this deck is like kind of like what you would expect from a Bogles deck, but the hexproof creatures in this format, in Pioneer in particular, are not very good. There, there is actually a hexproof Aras deck that did okay uh, at Nagoya, I believe. It was at one of them. I, I screenshotted it, though, so we could talk about okay. Hexproof if we have time. But this deck actually got second. So it's a little bit like Bogles, but instead of Hexproof creatures, they just used, like, cheap creatures that want to have Auras on them. Uh, so Hateful Eidolon and Sram are kind of what allows you to they're, they're get instant. rid of the the downside of Auras because mm-hmm. they just keep drawing you cards so that if you get like five for one with a fatal push because you went all in on your heroic creature, you can still win because you drew five cards off of it because Hateful Eidolon draws a card whenever... Uh, can you can I, you bring up Hateful Eidolon for me? Yeah, so it is it is one black lifelink. Whenever an enchanted creature dies, draw a card for each aura you controlled that was attached to it and it is a one-two. With so, lifelink. It's a one-two with lifelink. So I said lifelink. Oh, sorry. So it, it holds auras pretty well, and it draws a card for each aura attached to the creature when it dies. Right. And then it does, SRAM is whenever you cast an aura, you draw a card. He's a two-two with no ability, so he doesn't hold auras super well. But so you're like drawing all these cards off these auras. If they kill your creature, you draw more cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the creature suite is rounded out with favored hoplite and Ephemia, which is a card that is super sweet. Yeah, so Ephemia is a one black, uh, two one flying. At the beginning of your end step, you may exile an enchantment card from your graveyard and create a two two zombie. So it allows you to get value off of some of the uh, A, the auras that you have ended up your graveyard due to a creature being removed, but also due to the fact that it has a. 
all seeds the life bounty as another enchantment in the deck enchantment creature that lets you sack it to be able to give protection from color of your choice a color of your choice so so you have it's a thing like you have different ways to get creatures into your graveyard including enchantment creatures all of them then can be sacked from ephemia to get you to two zombies so you gain value from there also of the different um ours that it's playing two of them basically have flashback right you have griff's boon which is you can return griff's boon from your graveyard to the battlefield attached to a creature uh as long as it is you can cast a sorcery you can do a sorcery speed for it's four right for four mana it gives it but it's also plus, just plus, a one mana aura that's going to draw a card on the front side right. and then late in the game when you're flooding you can get it back and and sentinel isles is the same thing where you can kind of you keep using it to trigger and it gives plus one plus one in vigilance so you have two two rebuyable auras yeah that it has it things. has escape one exile two cards from your graveyard. yeah limited um, big limited card in this format but uh also just a recurring aura yep um so that's what's interesting is this deck is playing cards like ephemia and sentinel's eyes and like uh, Griff Spoon is starting to show up in Bogles actually now, but it, it's playing these cards because like Bogles, you never expect your R's to leave the battlefield. I mean, like maybe post board your opponent has engineered explosives or sure. something, but like generally you're kind of expecting to just like go very tall on one creature and like it doesn't die because it has hexproof and maybe like your hyena umbra dies because they supreme verdicted or whatever. Right. But like in this deck, you're expecting your to be cycling through all your auras and your creatures are like constantly getting killed by removal and you just keep going. And so it has like these recursive auras are really important because they allow you to like, you know, gas up after they kill your mm-hmm. creature. And so many of the cards also like get you extra creatures so that their if their targeted creature removal is much weaker, where you have like Cartouche of Solidarity yeah. or Ephemia, where both of them are like building extra creatures while your other things are dying. Yeah. And then um, and then the the enchantment package is rounded the aura package is rounded out by all that glitters and ethereal armor, which both give a creature plus and plus one for each uh enchantment you control. Yeah, they kill you really quickly. They right. They are terrifying. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like those are the big ones, right? All the glitters and ethereal armor I think is what really makes this deck into a deck that kills people mm-hmm. um and then for karametra's blessing which gives an enchantment creature or an enchanted creature plus two plus two indestructible and hexproof until end of turn mm-hmm. um so this is kind of like your way of beating removal heavy decks because when you go all in on your creature and they go to fatal push you can one mana hexproof indestructible right. my guy and get them well also like even even if the you need to target your sram or the favorite like a for the favorite hoplite it, it it triggers heroic yeah and and b uh with sram Endor favorite hoplite you know the key removal spell out of red is shock and this yeah wild cause, slash yeah because because it, it doesn't have to target a um enchantment creature it just if it's not an enchantment creature, it only gets plus two plus right, two. Right, 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 right. Um, and then and then gets all that other extra text if it's an enchantment creature, which every other creature in your deck is, other than your like main draw engine. But other than fatal push, half the f- removal of the format is just wild slash. And yeah, so, that's true. You can use it to just have your non-enchantment creature dodge wild slash. So it's like because yeah. you want your SRAM to live, and you're often not going to be enchanting it. And sometimes you just kill them, right? Like, yeah, I attacked you. You're at twelve, and I have a ten. Well, and I have to imagine block. Plus two, plus two, you lose. <laughs> that's that is always an extra use of these cards, but I don't think that's why it's here. It's no, really yeah, meant yeah. as a blossoming defense, right? Where yeah, like, yeah. This is blossoming defense that gives your creature indestructible, which means it like has a lot of play against um against like Supreme Verdict. Sure, and more what I was saying is like obviously its main use is to like just turn off removal and protect your creatures that you're going very deep on, but it also has. 
it is, you know, like a, a basic pump spell that has versatility beyond that. Yeah, sure. I just like if you're attacking them with like a nine nine lifelink, you know, uh, hateful eidolon or something. Why does it like have the plus link? two plus two is Why not going to be that relevant. <laughs> they want you to enchant it. You're supposed to enchant I, it. I get it. I'm just it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's sweet. <laughs> I thought so. The first time I read it, I thought that the second ability only triggered on itself. Oh no! But it's on anything. Yeah, well, it's cool because in limited. Like the most popular, most common use for this card in any format, I think, is in limited. You play Myers Grasp on their creature, which enchanted creature gets minus three, minus three. Their creature dies. You draw a card. I don't think that's the most common use of this card in any format. I think it is. Maybe not anymore. No, I mean, like, I think like in every format, but other than other than limited. Well, I think that this card gets played more in limited than anywhere else. I guess is what I'm getting at. And in limited, what you're often no, doing no, with this it is already Myers being Grasp. seen. Pl- like this is this was a card that was seen play in Aradex in Pioneer before this Pro Tour, as well as you. There's no other events to look up. There have been no Pioneer events. There's been Star City ones. Not since Theros came out. It came out like a week ago. Hmm. <laughs> you have one week of data. <laughs> um, well, you don't have any data. The burden proves on you. I played against it multiple times while I was streaming by in here. I have videos. <laughs> I have sure. video evidence. Uh, all right. So <laughs> um, deck is sweet. Uh, the other bit spirits. There wasn't anything really other than just like a bunch of good spirit cards, which is dope. But, yeah. I mean, the band spirits deck just looks a lot like uh, modern band spirits. Yeah. It, like most of the spirits that you play in the deck are legal in modern uh or sorry most of the spirits that are played in the modern deck are legal in pioneer mm-hmm. and you're just playing them here you got all the hits you got uh you know mausoleum wanderer rattle chains selfless spirit uh spell queller supreme phantom are the main ones uh and yeah, but, Company. Like, like the the only thing that it's doing a little bit differently is that just like all of its interaction is in the form of spirits so you have Stuff like yeah, no paths in this. Yeah, format. there's no path. So That's like so basically in the ban, thing. you don't really have a good removal spell. So you're playing Nebelgast Herald to kind of deal with opposing threats. Um, sure. The one thing that I will say is that path being gone just makes Collected Company that much stronger, right? Like there's 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 by by not having it, you have to play slightly worse answers. Obviously, if path was in this format, you would play it. Right. But I know that a lot of spirits decks were moving away from collective company in general, just because it was better to play with other spells. What's interesting that you see is there are a lot of, there are a lot of Azorius spirits that did well at these pro tours. They didn't top eight. The the Mm -hmm. top eight is just Bant, but, um, and I believe both. Yeah. Both, both top eights had at least one Bant spirits in it because Brussels had two, but there are Azorius spirits decks that had, you know, uh, like 20 plus match points. Sure. Um, if you look at like the pioneer list that did well, cause what's interesting about these multi-format events like pro tours and players tours, um, is that a lot of times people will just not practice enough draft. And so they won't do well in draft, but then they like XO standard or whatever, right, or like right. X one standard. So if you go and look at those decks, there are quite a few Azorius spirits there. They just didn't quite make it to top eight. Right, the, the the top eight of the events are always something that you have to take with the grain of salt for that reason, right? Like right. these these are the best eight pioneer decks that also were piloted by players that performed admirably well in the limited portion, right? And or or at least well enough, right? Because right. if you if you XO constructed at a pro tour, it's you don't have to do that well at draft to top eight, sure. but you you know, you can't go Oh three, right? right, like, right, right. <laughs> it's more that there are other lists out there that are very powerful in the format that aren't represented here because they, their pilots were not as good at limited. 
Um, Theoretically, the, right. The last the last deck to talk about from PT Nagoya before we get on to Brussels is Mono Black Vampires. Yeah. Uh, this is a deck that basically... This was something that was being done in Standard, but Soren Imperious Bloodlord can act as a... Uh, sneak attack, but for really big vampires. Like a show and tell. Show and tell for, for vampires. And you're not getting to play Emrakul status ones, but you get to play on turn three five drops that normally would be not available to you. Yeah, and it has like a lot of extra utility, right? Like you can just play it on an empty board and start plussing. You can play it when you have one vampire out and just like start gaining some life or whatever. Also, like once you show and tell in a big vampire, you can... Um, it just sticks around. Right. And and the two best ones that it puts in the play, one is Champion of Dusk, which is three black black. Vampire Knight, when Champion of Dusk enters the battlefield, you draw X cards and you lose X life, where X is the number of vampires you control. Uh, so you draw a lot of cards. Uh, and then Kalidus, which modern staple, two black black. Legendary creature, Vampire Warrior. Lifelink, if a non-token creature an opponent controls would die, instead exile that card and put it a 2-2 two, two black... 2-2 two, two black zombie uh, onto the battlefield token. Uh, and you may sacrifice another vampire or zombie uh, to put two plus plus one counters on Kalidus. Um, what's really good about Kalidus is it eats graveyards. Like it it kind of acts as this like weird sideboard hate card that just is really good. And then at the same time starts generating value for you. Yeah. So it also has lifelink, which is really relevant in this deck. And it's also the reason they're playing four gifted Aetherborn. Because between Champion of Dusk, which loses you a bunch of life. Dusk Legion Zealot, which loses you life. You're playing three Murderous Rider, which loses you life. You're playing four Thought Seas, which loses you life. Mm-hmm. You're playing four Castle Lockthwain, which loses you life. Life. you're like paying a lot of life in this deck and you really want to be able to gain it back and like Kalidus being able to like sacrifice any of your creatures or a zombie right to get plus two plus two um is super relevant because murderous rider is also a zombie right uh murderous so, rider is um, a zombie and not to mention like mutavolt's a zombie so you have right. that as well so you can sacrifice any creature in your deck because they're all either vampires or zombies or both in the case of mutavolt um and everything else <laughs> yeah and so <laughs> and so uh it it can like you can just have like a five six with lifelink which is going to beat a lot of the aggressive decks like the mono black aggros of the world or the red decks because they're going to have trouble you know wild slashing your Kalidus, and it can just run away with the game with lifelink and and just i want to read it really quickly a soren the imperious blood lord is uh two black legendary planeswalker soren comes in four loyalty you can plus one target creature you control gains death punch and lifelink until end of turn if it's a vampire put a plus one plus one counter on it which 90% 90% of things in your deck are vampires. Yep. Uh, other than the zombie tokens and murderous riders. Uh, you may sacrifice a vampire. When you do, Soren Imperious Bloodlord deals three damage to any target and you gain three life. That's another plus one. You can then also minus three, which it comes in in four loyalty. So you can do this as soon as you play it on turn three. You may put a vampire creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. So Soren's from M20, right? Yep. So that's the newest. So I'm not tired. Yeah. So yeah. so it, it, he's, it is he's within in the standard. realm of... He's in standard right now. Yeah. There's just not any good vampires in standard. There was... And the, like there was a vampire deck six months ago or Yeah, using ago. the Ixalan yeah. vampires like Champion of wow. Dusk and Dusk Legion Zealot. Why was six months ago? Yeah. That's crazy. This card has existed for six months. The year's gone fast. I'm 23 or 32. Wow. I'm wow, tired. you're 23? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm 23. I'm really what a young. young and, yeah. I know. Oh. Doing a lot for my age. Yeah. Uh... 
So, so very powerful and, and lives within the world of like, oh, wizards wanted to print really powerful three mana planeswalkers that interact with their loyalty differently. And this is another one where it like has weirdly specific tribal abilities, but it can do all of those abilities the moment it comes into play. It's also a classic three mana planeswalker with four loyalty. So as you know, three mana and high loyalty is a recipe for success. And it has multiple plus one abilities. So yeah. like it's it's looking pretty Oko-y to me. It's got I don't know. Oko, is, this, Oko. is this black Oko? Black Oko. Oko vibes. It's like a little too specific yeah it's significantly uh, too specific and it doesn't make all of your opponent's cards text boxes blank <laughs> yes yes it does make a really big champion to dusk or uh, a nice uh, Kalidus but yes but it that's... does gain you life it puts pressure on your opponent it can kind of act as removal and it can like allow you to be very mana efficient which is right. good when you're playing mutavolt I would say that like more so in the mono black aggro deck but in a lot of these monocolor aggro decks in Pioneer, Mutavault, I would say, is like a huge key card because it gives you like the resilience to sweepers. It's just very efficient. It has relevant creature types so that like in this deck, it's a vampire. So it can draw you cards off Champion of Dusk or your Soren can give it mm-hmm. a plus one plus one counter or whatever. Right. You can sack it to Kalidus. Like Mutavault just does a lot, I think. Something that's really interesting about Pioneer in general is kind of the relationship between like the fixing isn't that great. Like we don't have the fetch land mana base and Mutavault exists and Nykthos exists. Like between those two cards, like, and not like not being able to just like play three mana or three colors if you want for free makes it so that like you are more and more just put down these pipelines of only playing one color. Yeah, especially in aggro decks. Right. Like the aggro decks in this format are really pushed towards monocolor. Uh, like the SRAM Auras, I would say, is like a big exception and Bant Sp- and the Spirits decks. But even those are like a little bit mid-rangier. Like if you want to play just like straight up aggro, I feel like you're really pushed towards monocolor and pioneer because the big aggro decks that we're seeing are like mono black aggro, sometimes vampires, sometimes just straight mono black aggro, which mm-hmm. we'll get to when we talk about the top eight of Brussels. The next thing we'll talk about. Yeah. And then uh, or you're playing mono red or you're playing like these new mono white Heliod decks. People are still trying to figure out exactly how aggro those are supposed to be. But right you know, there's, there's a big push towards monocolor decks and even these like mono blue devotion decks can be, you know, relatively aggro. And again, it's like their monocolor. They get to play Nykthos. They get to play Mutavault if they want. Although the inverter deck isn't because it's playing a bunch of blue black lands, but (laughs) right. And and like if red becomes more popular, master waves becomes more of a thing to look at because it has the ability to just like take over games and you have original Thassa, which is just a big five, five that is unblockable (laughs) if you want it to be. Um, So like mono blue has really reasons to do it. Like each, each of the colors now, I think other than maybe mono white has real reasons to be monocolor and mono white has those too. It's just people haven't figured out the best shell yeah which we'll we'll talk about mono white yeah. i i their mono white did perform well at these tournaments just didn't quite get a top sure eight. um and then the so the other mono black deck that that top eight and now we're now we're now pivoting yeah we've, we've discussed all of nagoya because it was five demir inverter uh bant spirits won the ephemia aras deck got orzov aras i guess got uh second and then uh the Model Black Vampires deck rounds out the top eight. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and then moving over here, where there was one Demir Inverter list in the top eight. Very different look. There were multiple Bant Spirits lists in this top eight, which I think is an yeah. interesting uh, feature of this format. But then uh, Model Black Aggro, Red Deck wins, and we'll talk about the winner in a second. Lotus Breach was also in the format uh, in the top eight. But Model Black Aggro, just to segue correctly... This is much more of like a classic mono black aggro deck playing just kind of really good, powerful removal spells um, and uh, scrap each scrounger, 
blood soak champion gutter bones um just kind of playing a bunch of low to the ground things interesting that they're not playing um anything along the, the lines of gary like you're not you're not gray merchanting anyone out yeah this is not a devotion list well really. i think of gray merchant as more of a mid-range card like it sure. costs five mana uh this deck is just like loading up on one drops and mutavaults um and then loading up on one drops and mutavaults with some efficient interaction including one drag to the underworld which is cool that that's starting to see play in this format but so for those that drag the underworld is two black black this spell costs x less to cast when x is the uh, is your devotion to black and it's just destroy target creature so can pretty easily in this deck especially be black black destroy target creature yeah especially given that like your deck is one drops and cards that cost black black uh, and scrap heap scrounger which scrap heap scrounger so so one feature of this mono black aggro deck that is different from the vampire deck the vampire deck is looking to like have resilience through drawing a ton of cards off of champion of dusk sure. and dust legion zealot and cards like that this deck is looking to have resilience with recursive creatures so you have four blood soak champion and four gutter bones as your eight of your 12 one drops and they come back from the graveyard you've got scrap heap scrounger that comes back from the graveyard um so you're you're looking to like be resilient through recursion which is something that black cards are typically great at mm-hmm. uh, and you just yeah i mean it's aggro you just beat them up as quickly as possible you remove their blockers and it's also it's also taking advantage of those cards with with rankle right you're able to play your like main four drop you do have a spawn of mayhem but often it's going to be yeah, black black one drop. as a three drop but with rankle four drop you get in haste and you can start using it as an abyss because you have these like recursive creatures that you can, can bring back every turn and your opponent likely does not have the ability to recur yeah i mean against some of these decks that are playing like big big main deck life game like Mm -hmm. the uh the ara's deck or you know something with kalidus or whatever Mm -hmm. you can fly over with rankle hit them make them sacrifice their creature and you can just like if you can't aggro them out you can grind them out with rankle right by like sacking your blood soak champion or and discarding the gutter bones and then getting them both back or whatever right like like having that many ways to get creatures back from your graveyard or graveyard interaction kind of maximizes rankle um and those who don't know rankle is a two black black flyer uh haste three three uh that when flying haste flying haste flyer haste is it flying sorry yeah uh each player discard you when you do damage to a player you can choose any of the following each player discards a card each player loses one wife and draws a card and each player sacrifices a creature so a gives you the ability to kind of almost swing as a four three um though each of you draw a card um but the fact that you can force them to discard lowering the amount of cards they have while you discarding things that you can buy back as well as making them sacrifice a creature while you have another creature in play that you can also recur is like definitely a power boost to the card and a card that's already powerful without having that extra boost yeah it does like the little bit of a liliana the veil impression where if you're playing against a combo deck that's like spending the earlier turn sculpting their hand you can start just making them discard a card every turn you're discarding too but you don't care because you have pressure on them and maybe you're discarding a scrap peep scrounger right. or maybe you don't have any cards left in hand because you have 12 one drops in your right. deck or <laughs> and and you're the deck playing thoughtsies where you can make sure that the key cards that they might want to hold on to are going away while also forcing them like you you're kind of hitting them on both ends right you're hitting them their worst card is going away every turn and their best card is going away at the key times that you need it to. Right. Like Rankle, in some senses, is a little bit like a four mana Liliana the Veil that like also hits them for three. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it's for one extra mana, you get a flying through three. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, it has to hit them to do any of the things. So it's I wouldn't say that it's better than Liliana the Veil, but it does it fills a similar role in your deck where like yeah. it it can hit their hand if you need to hit their hand, it can hit their board if you need to hit their board. Um and it combines well with Thoughtseize. 
Yep. The next deck we're going to talk about, Red Deck Wins. This deck is sweet. I mean, it's playing Carry Zev, which is just <laughs> really cool. Is this is this chunk chonky red? So yeah, Ch- chonky red is the uh, the one of the like premier mono red decks that gets played in the format. Uh, one, I would say that like the red aggro decks that we're seeing are somewhere between like mono red aggro with like tons of one drops that you expect and chonky red, which is like often playing like multiple four drops and glory bringers and stuff. This deck shaved glory bringers for monastery so spears compared to like true chonky red mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. i would say that this deck is still pretty chonky you know you've got four torbrand which is a four drop you've got uh one chandra you've got three goblin chain whirler four bone crusher giant which mm-hmm. are all threes you've got abbot of carol keep which allows you to like spend a lot of mana if you've got a lot of mana you're playing 24 lands um this doesn't strike me as like what you would expect from mono red aggro in like modern or even standard i mean even standard mono red aggro right now looks smaller than this a lot of the time mm-hmm um, so I'd say this is pretty chunky, but yeah. but the the eight one drops is like a little bit of a break from typical chunky. Right. Red. Well, and and it, it's interesting. It's taking advantage of Bone Crusher's adventure text to like up its ability to really trigger prowess with Soul Scholar Mage and Monastery Spear. When you first right. look at it, you're like, this is the least amount of instants and door sorceries I've ever seen being played with a Monastery Swift Spear. Um, not to mention eight Monastery Swift Spears with Soul Scholar Mage. But the fact that Bone Crusher Giant is technically a one red shock draw card. Yeah, Bone Crusher Giant is super flexible in that regard um, because it can be spells if you need it to be spells. It can be a creature if you need it to be a creature. Um, and then other than that, like a lot of these decks just kind of play a little bit like the the um, the Ramanop Red decks. Right. Because they've like- got kind of like a few cheap creatures to put some pressure. You've got... Um, some burn spells, you've got some Chandra, you've got some Ramanap Ruins to finish them off. Uh, these decks are often playing Ramanap Ruins instead of Mutavolts as like their monocolor, colorless land, and, free yeah, roll. It's, it's playing, this would playing two Castle Embereth, uh, four Ramanap Ruins, and then one Mutavolt. So it does still have the one, but it, it is much more on the like, sack my mountains to do two damage to your turn and you'll just eventually die. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Torbran with Goblin Chain Whirler uh, beats all the creature matchups. <laughs> Torbran is so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Someone pointed out that you can find it with um, uh, what's the red creature from um, Imperial Portal? Recruiter? Yeah, Imperial Recruiter. That's a cool commander play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with Modern or Pioneer, but in Commander, the fact that you can get them with it is, like, really cool. Um, yeah. Loving it. Or... or Gives you a reason to put Canadian that in your, Highlander. like, Spell Slinger red deck, your, like, Jaya Ballard yeah, deck or yeah. something where you're not playing that many creatures. Imperial Recruiter, get in there. I need get my Torbrand. All right, next. And this was played by Paulo Vitor Dama de Rosso, which, according to BDM, who I spent... Brian David Most, Marshall. Brian David Marshall uh, to, at Top 8 Games, uh, who has spent the majority of my magic career being the magic pro tour historian, uh, brought up the fact that PVDR is officially, I think, the only player to have ever been every position in a Top 8 yeah. of a pro tour level event. Yeah. Uh, now, there is a debate on, is this a pro tour level event? I think I think we talked about that. I think it is. I think based on it, it's more like the formatting of the event and the way it works to me makes it that. And like maybe it's slightly easier to get qualified for it. But PV like Paulo was 
qualified for everything yeah. regardless. So that's not really yeah, he's like, in the Hall of Fame. So that that's less of a thing to me. So I don't I don't know. I think it I think it counts. But he is playing a Nivit Niv Mizzet Reborn list, which is just like Which is tearing up every format. You got you play you get on you hop on arena, you got some Niv Mizzet Reborn. You get sick of playing against that, you go on Magic Online, you play some Pioneer, right. you're playing against Niv Mizzet Reborn. You want to play some modern? You're playing against Niv Mizzet yep. Reborn. <laughs> you want to play Commander? Yeah. Brawl. I need you to. I need you to. <laughs> you're playing Niv Misery Reborn. Thank you. Yeah. You what about that. Brawl? I think you're uh, playing against Niv Misery Reborn. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, so it ends up that when you play a giant card draw engine for all five colors, it is enough of an incentive to play all five colors. That's also a six six flying that kills them. Yeah, in four hits. Uh, especially when there are multiple gold sets in the format that allow you to play with a bunch of sweet gold cards, including Abrupt Decay, Bring to Light, Dreadbore, Anguish on Making, Uru, or Uro, 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 uh, Nahiri, Teferi. Yep, there's just a lot. There's a lot of real good cards. Yeah, so in Pioneer, like, the mana base is kind of bad. And actually, uh, this deck, on the whole, was going in as a big contender, and it did not do that well uh, overall. Because uh, of the bad mana base. I or think the bad mana like, base is part of it, cards. and like it has a weak matchup against a lot of the aggro decks. I think it struggles a little bit against Inverter because um, it's like a little bit too slow, and doesn't for and it doesn't do enough to interact with their combo. Mm-hmm. Um, post board, I, I mean, I'm sure it gets better. You've got like thought seizes post board, and you know you can bring in the right answers for their threats. But uh, I think yeah, it just it wasn't super well positioned. But Paulo is like a wizard, um, and right. is you know one of the best players in the world, if not the best player the best in the world. Player of so, all time. so yeah, I mean, he's definitely close. So, you know, he was able to take like, this like to a top right. eight finish, but on the whole, this deck did not perform very well, but Sylvan Karyatid does a little bit to sharp the mana base issues. I think it's like mm-hmm. one of the key cards of the deck and goose uh, and goose. I mean, yep. goose again is like kind of more of a life gain engine, but it does let you play your niv a little bit earlier and right. gives you that missing color. You can set up to be able to play the spells that you're missing if you need to, while also being a life gain engine versus right. Carrotid, which is just. And then the versions that we're seeing in Pioneer typically are playing Bring to Light, uh, which is the Battle for Zendikar sorcery that you has Converge. So it costs three blue green, and then for each color you spent on it, you may you search s- your library for a creature, instant, and or sorcery card, or just not or, or. Sor- just <laughs> or sorcery card with converted man cost less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent bring to light exile that card then shuffle your library you may cast that card without paying its mana cost so you can use bring to light to cast niv mizzet yes so the i the general idea with bring to light and this is what you typically see in bring to light decks is you have one card you want to get maybe it's scape shift maybe it's niv mizzet but whatever it is that's the reason you're playing it so basically you have eight copies of niv mizzet in your deck so you'll if you have one mana of each color you've got eight copies of niv mizzet that you can get with that mana uh, if you don't need a Niv Mizzet, these decks are always playing a ton. Or if you need something else that's more important, these these Niv Mizzet decks, because Niv Mizzet digs so deep, and you want to like kind of maximize the number of cards you can draw, you're playing a ton of like wild one ofs of various color combos that Niv Mizzet can pick up, and Bring to Light can pick them up too. So if you really need a Slaughter Games or a um, this deck is playing Solar Blaze over Stream Verdict, which is interesting. They must need a Boros card. Uh, you can grab those with Niv- uh, with Bring the Light. You can mm-hmm. you can grab a Slaughter Games to get Inverter of Truth. You can grab Solar right. Blaze to blow up all your mono black aggro mm-hmm. opponents creatures. You can grab um, Anguish, Anguish making, making to anything. T- yeah, to get rid of their like important permanent. So it gives you a lot of flexibility, especially in a deck like Niv Mizzet, where you're playing all these one ofs. And then once you 
post board, you have even more random one ofs you can grab with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Deafening Clarion, Enter the God Eternals, Night of Autumn. Yeah, I think the main deck slaughter games is actually one a, a nod. It, it must be a nod to Inverter, and I think that might be why PV performed better than the other Niv pilots. I would have to see like what other people Niv pilots were playing, but I feel like the main deck slaughter games uh, probably gave him a big edge versus uh, the Inverter decks that I think Niv, the Niv Mizzet decks are typically weak against. The, this also feels like like it doesn't have the combo kill, but Birthing Pod is is. Like, it has a lot of similarities where there's a lot of one-ofs, a lot of different, like, you need to know every single card in your deck to be able to win and and know what you're doing and be able to find the right card at the right time. And even know, like, oh, is this hand keepable? I'm playing with a bunch of one-ofs. Are these the one-ofs that I want when you even are in the mulliganing position? But the Niv-Mizzet, like, Paulo being so good, like, one of the things that Birthing Pod had, like, for three years in Modern, it was probably the best deck in the format. But just finding the right list and finding people good enough with that list was so like skill testing that it took two years for people to realize, oh, oh no, this is the best deck in the format. Like there was one moment where like something happened where like basically the difference between people realizing it was the best thing and not was no cards were printed. Just people found the right list. And this could be a deck like that, right? Where there's like so many different options. Maybe you need two slaughter games in the main deck. Maybe you need XYZ and and, and yeah. getting that list right while also having a pilot that like the chances of Apollo making a mistake are much lower than another player. And there's so many options available. Like if you cast bring to light and you have the option of any card in your deck, but you don't like picking the right one to make sure you win. Right. Is and, hard. and it's like you said, there's two layers, right? The first layer is what is in your deck? Do you have the right cards in your deck? Mm-hmm. And that's very difficult. <laughs> yes. And then after that, after you have the right cards in your deck, which one are you getting, right? Like, are you grabbing when Niv you right now, it. or is Slaughter Games more important? Like, what do you need in this particular matchup at this particular moment, knowing exactly what your opponent's doing, knowing what you're doing, knowing what you're going to do next turn? Like, like, like having a, the, do you remember, who was it Reed Duke, who had the, like, GP where the coverage was all focused on him throughout the yeah, entire thing? Yeah, that was thing. one of the best GP coverages I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I would love to see Paulo playing this deck as a PT coverage. <laughs> Because, yeah. like, like, literally, there were probably moments in games where he got a thing that every other player on the sun would be like, that's dumb, you shouldn't get that card, and then he'll, like, win because of it four turns later. Yeah, and like- I definitely could see it with a deck <laughs> like this. So, I, I forgot to mention this. Um, we're talking about Slaughter Games versus Inverter. We actually saw... Um, a really sweet card in the Nagoya top eight sideboard. One of the one of the inverter decks in the Nagoya top eight. I forget which player it was, um, but they were playing one. It's the card that's like grab an Eldrazi, a colorless Eldrazi card from your sideboard or that's been exiled and put it into your hand. Uh, it's from Shadows of Rannistrad, and you can use it to grab your inverter if somebody like unmoored egos you or slaughter games is you. Which, like, Slaughter Games is uncounterable, so there's often nothing you can do about it. But if you've got Coax Coax from the Blind Eternities, Eternities, you may choose an Eldrazi card you own from outside the game or in exile. Reveal that card, put it in your hand. So this is a way to get back your Inverter when it gets exiled. Because you have Jace and Thassa's Oracle to win with Inverter. So that's not what somebody's going to name with Slaughter Games, right? Like, they don't care about your Thassa's Oracle because you're just going to kill them with Jace. They care about your Inverter. That's the card Mm -hmm. that's going to win the game. So this Coax from the Blind Eternities gets an Eldrazi back from exile which is a super rare effect but inverters and eldrazi yep genius love it um yeah it's interesting there's no alternative to it but that's one way to get it back like because in the splinter twin days people would play like one kiki jiki for the same reason right the amount of games i've actually lost where i slaughter games getting rid of splinter twin and then they're like 
four turns later because I took a turn off playing a four drop. They're like, oh, I have Kiki. Well, and they also, as we discussed, are much likely more likely to kill you with combat damage. Yes. And once you take the inverter, there's like very little way for them to win because they're like so unlikely to mill their whole deck and win with Oracle. And they don't have a backup plan really that doesn't involve inverter. I mean, post board, some a lot of these decks probably do have a backup plan. But also, I think that compared to like modern Splinter Twin days, like Unmoored Ego is a card that is much more efficient than any effect like that that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like much more popular than Slaughter Games is. I, I also has I, ever been for me. I would almost lean towards the other version of this deck, the like the the devotion one, or I would like try and find ways or cards that I could be playing in this deck that allow it to have a B plan. Because definitely the classic Demir Inverter decks really don't have a B plan, right? If, if yeah, you... well, I, I, Glugowski was saying uh, who got second at, in Brussels. He was playing Demir Inverter. Uh, he was he was saying that like his sideboard of like boarding in creatures like the Scarab God and Thief of Sanity mm-hmm. uh, was really good for him and Cletus. Um, just kind of being a more traditional blue black controlling mid range right. style deck um, was a really powerful sideboard plan for him. Now that this inverter deck has kind of cemented itself as the deck to beat in Pioneer, that means a lot of people are going to be innovating ways to beat it. For mm-hmm. one thing, you're going to see more probably of these slaughter games type effects and sideboards uh, on more ego. And then you're also going to see like the inverter decks adapt right to beating that type of stuff right. because you're going to see there's going to be a lot of people playing it. There's going to be a lot of people thinking about like, what's my backup plan? Is it bored into just a bunch of like mid range creatures or is it going to be? board into coax from the blind eternities right or is it going to be play blue devotion with inverter in it because that gives me like a plan a with a combo backup plan well and and, and to be honest it's one of the reasons i really liked the idea of like a one of or two of tassiger or like that kind of event right because he 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 is at least on game plan in two ways he's a delve spell that eats your graveyard out so it helps there he but he's also a four or five you know just big attacker that you can get on turn two and he draws cards and he draws cards so he kind of does and he can even get your combo pieces back because depending on what you put in your graveyard you can get the inverter truth or thasa so like he does a lot of the things you want is worse than something say like dig through time but is also a threat and so lets you start yeah we didn't see it in either of the top eights but uh, i was going through all the decks that like did well but didn't top eight like had Mm -hmm. those decks in constructed only had a bunch of match points um and yeah, there were some Demir Inverter decks that were playing uh, one Tassiger. Yeah. Just like... In part, probably for that reason. It gives you a good backup plan, but it also contributes to your main plan. Right. They have to now deal with a Tassiger in front of them. And then at any moment, you could just win on the other side. And, yeah. And, and the thing about like boarding in mid-range creatures also in a deck like this is like removal is not very good against you, right? Like the beatdown plan with inverter is like such a huge plan B because if you like kill the inverter, if you, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not leaving your removal in because killing the inverter doesn't do anything. Killing the Oracle doesn't do anything right. because it's trigger will still resolve when you have zero cards in the library and you win. Yep. And so uh, like removal is bad against the deck. So then when you bring in Scarab God and your opponent's like, Oh no, I, I just don't have a way in my deck to beat this. Uh, Scarab God wins the game when yeah. you can't deal with it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, all right. So that was second place. We didn't really deal with third and fourth. We dealt with Nimizit, but also Lotus Breach. This deck was like really spicy going into it. The, the one that actually top aided is, is doing something a little bit differently before they were playing the um, Chronic Flooding. Chronic Flooding. Yeah, so so the Lotus Breach, like the stock Lotus Breach deck going into this these tournaments, and, and it was like expected to be a big contender because it's like the classic, it's like the storm of Pioneer, right? right? Where you're not very interactive, you're a pure combo deck, no backup plan, you don't need it, you're just gonna combo as quickly as possible and win. And um, 
And so the, typically they play, uh, you get a Lotus Field in play and another land. Can be anything. Any land. And then you, yeah, you play Hidden Strings, which is a Ben Bateman favorite. Uh, so for those who don't know, well, first, Lotus Field is is the, the new uh, land from M20. It has Hexproof. <coughs> Lotus Field enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, when Lotus Field enters the battlefield, sacrifice two lands, and you can tap it to add three mana of any color. Um, and then Hidden Strings, there's going to be a bunch of cards we're going to have to read, so I'm making sure we do it. For all you audio listeners, uh, for people watching on video, it's right here. Make sure to leave a like on YouTube, subscribe, hit the bell button, and comment with your favorite deck from the Pro Tour Top 8s. Uh, Hidden Strings is you may tap or untap target per- permanent, then you may tap or untap another target permanent. It has Cypher, it is one and a blue. Um, I believe that the cipher piece of the card is not what's relevant. No, it's not. I've I've actually seen some players cipher it onto a creature, but it's always like, whoa, so cool, he did it. But it's not, <laughs> you don't expect to do that in the deck. But yeah, you're basically using it to untap your Lotus Field and one other land. Uh, so it's kind of a ritual, cost two, adds four. Right. Or two Lotus Fields if you're lucky, and then you're just adding infinite mana and you win. Not infinite, but. Uh, so <laughs> classically, <laughs> classically, what would happen is you you have hidden strings in your hand, you have this, you have an Underworld Breach, and you have a Chronic Flooding. You enchant one of your lands with Chronic Flooding, so that way when you tap it to add mana, you mill three cards. You play Hidden Strings to untap your two lands, uh, so now you've got four mana left over. You play Underworld Breach, use the other two mana to uh, escape your Hidden Strings, milling three again, and the, each time you cast Hidden Strings, you need three cards to escape it with mm-hmm. Underworld Breach, and the Chronic Flooding provides the three cards. Right. For free, every no time. mana, just every time you do it. So that allows you to just go through your whole deck. And as you're doing it, you're like milling other cards you can cast to like, you know, uh, generate mana or generate cards in your graveyard to kind of like, you know, because that's just breaking even the hidden strings combo. Well, the hidden right. strings combo is adding mana, but it's breaking even on cards in graveyard. So you can also be like um, passing Seder Wayfinder from your graveyard right. in this list or strategic planning or whatever. Or Tome Scour if you're like deep. And so... um so you're you're going through your entire deck this way and adding mana, and then once your entire deck's in your graveyard, you cast your Thassa's Oracle and you win. What this deck is doing, the one that top aided Brussels, uh, instead of playing Chronic Flooding, which is like a card that's kind of miserable in multiples and like doesn't do much if you aren't comboing. Uh, I mean, I guess it fuels your graveyard for Dig Through Time or Escape or whatever, but like mm. sure. But now they're playing. He's playing Fae of Wishes instead because with Fae of Wishes you get access to your entire sideboard, so you can grab a you know Supreme Verdict or a Thought Distortion if either of those cards are going to win you the game, uh, or an Ugin the Spirit Dragon because you you have like infinite mana, but there's things you need to kill, right? Or there's an Underworld Breach in the sideboard as well, so you can make sure to grab that. Um, you can also, there's Jace Wilder of Mysteries is the alternative win condition to Thassa's Oracle. You right. also so have... It gives you protection from Unmored Ego because if they Unmored Ego your Thassa's Oracle, you can grab your Jace. Right. But the most important one is... Is Tome Scour because what Tome Scour does is uh, you hit in strings. So instead of fueling your graveyard with Chronic Flooding, which does it for free, you're Tome Scouring yourself instead. So now you're netting a bunch of cards in your graveyard, allowing you to sometimes cast hidden strings twice. So, so Tome Scour... You're netting two mana each time you hit in strings because you're making four, but you're spending two. Mm-hmm. And, and for those who don't remember, Tome Scour is one blue. Uh, you put the top five cards of your library into your graveyard. It's technically target player, but nowadays you're targeting yourself. Yeah, you're targeting uh, yourself. It was a card that saw no play in any format. Then Faithless Looting was banned, and now it's uh, seeing play everywhere. <laughs> yeah, people have been ex- exploring it a little bit. <laughs> And I, I think Merfolk Seeker Keeper helped with that, actually. I think people were like, well, Merfolk Seeker Keeper actually looks 
like an okay card. I'm going to start playing that. Wait, yes. maybe Tomescour is better. Right, right. <laughs> um, but so, so Tomescour, you, you you use the two mana that you net off the combo to Tomescour yourself twice. So now the limiting factor is the mana rather than the cards in your graveyard. But you can cast hidden strings twice every once in a while because the Tomescour is putting more cards in your graveyard than number of times you you are doing the combo. Mm-hmm. So you're like tome scouring yourself and it, it does the same thing basically as the chronic flooding. It just like costs more mana, but puts more cards in your graveyard. So um, that was like a cool piece of innovation that this pilot had is the Fae of wishes. And I think it definitely earned them the top eight. Yeah. I think like that, that give, giving them a card that is relevant all the time versus a card that's only relevant really when you're winning the game is like really important. I think that's like how you kind of innovate and get to a top eight on one of these like yeah. large pro tour events. Oh, wow. This deck's also, also playing four thespian stage to get like multiple Lotus fields into play. I didn't notice that. Um, that is not typical of these decks because they're playing a bunch of colors. In fact, this deck is playing three of them. It's playing teamer. Some lists are playing even more decks than that. What's well, playing thought more distortion out of is, the sideboard. It's playing yeah. one lost legacy. It's playing thought distortion, but it has ways to make black mana. Well, the only way is Lotus Field, Field. but but Lotus Field, like you're not casting Thought Distortion ever unless you have Lotus Field Mm -hmm. anyway. Something that's cool about Thespian Stage, uh, it's playing one of Blasting Zone or Blast Zone. You can get rid like you can get rid of tokens with Thespian Stage. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something like I've run into in commander where like i have this card i have Thespian stages because it's a lands deck and i'm like oh this doesn't get rid of this giant because yeah, blast army. zone usually enters with a counter mm-hmm. so it can never hit zero but this can that's, yeah that's cute um, also being able to like untap with hidden strings you can like put counters on blast zone to get to the right number and then untap it with hidden strings and blow it uh another thing that i want to talk about about this deck before we get into the winning deck is uh underworld breaches relationship with adventure cards um yeah, because like it's something that you might not realize. And, and up to this point, the only real relevant card that did this was Kess, uh, which the Internet has yelled at me about. But you can like normally most of the cards printed in magic do not let you cast adventure cards out of your graveyard. You can't right. snapcast or mage them. You can't um, you can't cast the adventure half. You can't cast the adventure half because um, it's not an instant or a sorcery in your graveyard. So when snapcaster says target instant or sorcery in your graveyard gains flashback, mm-hmm. you can't target it or choose target instant or sorcery or all instants and sorceries gain flashback even doesn't work because um, it's not an instant or sorcery. it's not an instant or sorcery it is a creature but if a card lets you cast cards out of your graveyard you can then cast the instant and or sorcery side of that card Kess doesn't care if it's an instant or sorcery until it's on the stack uh underworld right. Kess just says you can cast an instant or sorcery you cast it Kess is like wait is that an instant or sorcery yes you're good <laughs> good job you and then underworld breach uh also doesn't care it, it doesn't specify what type of card you need it just says you can cast cards one other famous card is yagamas will which yeah and and those are kind of like well an underworld breach is just like the, the yagamas will that's legal and everything right yeah now. yeah and, yeah and, and is maybe as good <laughs> may, maybe as good yeah <laughs> maybe in some situations better better yeah cost two mana uh it doesn't exile the card is the key thing right like yogmoswell yeah anytime a card would go into your graveyard from anywhere this turn you exile it like this deck wouldn't work with yogmoswell in it i mean if yogmoswell was legal in pioneer i'm sure people would find another way to do it but Maybe. in this deck you're milling your you're trying to mill your thoughts as oracle and cast it out of your graveyard that would never work with the, yeah. with yogmoswell that, that actually be really interesting I'd, I'd be interested to see and i have no way to do this but like what deck would you play with yogmoswell over underworld breach in Pioneer. In other formats, 
storm decks. They exist. <laughs> <laughs> but the keyword storm does not currently exist in Pioneer. <laughs> I guess like it would be the closest are Thousand Year Storm and or Aetherworks Marvel are the closest thing to storm cards. And Aetherworks Marvel hasn't really made a splash at all since Pioneer's Inception. Yeah. It was like a card that everybody was like, this has to get banned, right? No way they let this stay legal. It just did nothing. It did nothing. And I meant Aether, still I meant, hasn't I meant done anything. Aetherflux Reservoir. Oh, Aetherflux Reservoir. Yeah. Like, well, Aetherworks Marvel is an interesting does, point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both of those cards have done nothing. <laughs> right, that was a card that, like, everybody, you know, oh, turn four Ulamog, like, turn four Emrakul the Promised End, how is anybody going to beat that? This card's going to be busted, right. and then... Which is a good example of why you should not listen to crickets. people speculating until tournament results happen. And that's what's cool about what they did with the Pioneer ban list. I mean, it made it a little bit risky to buy into it, because you're like, oh, well, is my deck going to get banned? Because right. they did the ban list as, like, a clean slate, and then banned things as needed, but... But it's cool because we get Aetherworks Marvel and there might be a point where Aetherworks Marvel is a player in the format and that's only possible because they didn't ban it at the beginning, which they probably would have. Right. They probably would have banned a majority, if not all, of the cards that had been banned in previous standards. And Aetherworks Marvel is like a huge offender. People yeah. thought it was going to be a major player in Pioneer, probably ban worthy. Yep. It never was. And and I think that the format has a chance to see some of these cards go well. It's going to be interesting to see what the banning conversation is after this tournament, right? Because well, there's always banning conversations yeah, yeah, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. But but like with, I don't think that they should look to ban Demir and Burner cards yet. I don't think so. I think I think it should have at least one more tournament. Yeah, I, th I think I think we I think honestly I think we exist in a world now with Pioneer that I think it should have time. I think we should take longer. And they're giving they're giving it time. Yeah, it, they, it's, it's they're no longer doing every Monday as a potential pioneer right. band. It's synced up with the other formats, and they said they're looking to slow down. Yeah. So, and I, I think that's really good because I think the format. I think like there is ways to beat this deck, and you already see some of them. And but what if they like, have cokes? How do you beat them? <laughs> I, I mean, also, like, mystical dispute on their Thassa's Oracle uh, is really strong. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, th yeah, like, counter spells are good against it. The problem is that, like, hand disruption is good against it, but doesn't actually stop them from comboing. Mm -hmm. And removal also doesn't stop them from comboing. So, like, unless you're playing blue, the deck's super hard to interact right, with. Right, right, right. Grave hate doesn't really do much. Like, it stops them from casting Dig Through Time, but, like, it doesn't stop them from just going Inverter, Oracle, I win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Last deck, because we're running a little bit out of time, uh, is Salti Delirium. Uh, this deck is sweet. <laughs> yeah, this deck's super sweet. This uh, is this is like the mid-range deck of the format. Yeah, and, um, we found Junt, and it's Salti, which like has never existed in Modern, but now it exists in Pioneer. It existed in Modern, but only because Oko was printed. <laughs> yeah, it, what's interesting is like people were trying Salti and Pioneer for a while, similar decks to this, um, and it never quite made it. You like you look at Jace Fringe Prodigy, you're like, this is one of the more powerful cards in the format. Mm -hmm. And black green, like mid range, is always a thing. It gives you like access to Fatal Push and Thoughtseize, which you want to flashback with Jace. Right. And you get Abrupt Decay, and you get Assassin's Trophy, both cards that are. And you get Traverse Yulvanwald, although this deck's actually not playing Assassin's Trophy. Correct. I'm just more like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you get access to like you get access to Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy. If you're interested, you get Traverse the Yulvanwald. Like it seems like a good shell, and it never really got there. And then Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath came along. Uh, he's a big boy. He is an extremely big boy. And the life gain is actually super relevant. It's because super I think relevant. one of the yeah. things about this deck is that you're you're paying a lot of life off your lands because the mana in Pioneer is, a little, is like even more awkward than well, Modern, where it's like not as efficient, but you take almost as much damage. <laughs> and, and we have another deck playing, you know, four Thoughtseize, one Murderous Rider. So you, you, you do have these creatures that also lose your life. Uh, interesting enough, like cor between Corsair, Kerfix, and Uro, which they also combo together in a cute way. You have a decent life game package. Um, 
that definitely can help you kind of get there and scavenging use, to be totally honest. Yeah, so so this deck is playing four Seder Wayfinder and three two Grizzly Salvage to stock the graveyard. Once your graveyard stocks, you've got uh you've got three Traverse Sylvanwald to find your two Corsair of Crufix or your one Emrakul the Promise End or your one Ishkana or your one Murderous Rider or your one Scavenging Ooze, one Tireless Tracker, one Walking Ballista. So that's like your Traverse package, right? right. And then obviously you can find an Uro with Traverse if you need it or a Jace Vringe Prodigy, which is also in there to stock the graveyard. Mm-hmm. But, but but Uro is good also because of all the ways you're filling your graveyard, it ends up in your graveyard. It's, it's right. the, it is, as of right now, one of the closest things this format has to Lingering Souls. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it's like... Lingering Souls is like being the best thing to put in your graveyard and be able to cast as like as a like advantage engine. Lingering Souls is better than a row. I'm not saying it's. Yeah, I think I'm confident in saying Lingering Souls is better than a row. It's it's. Yeah, I'm comfortable. Uro wins the game way better and it gains life and it draws cards. It costs four and three mana versus three and two. Well, it's like if you don't build your deck around either lingering souls is better. I think in a world where you build your deck around Uro or you build your deck around lingering souls, I think the ceiling on Uro is higher. I think the floor on Uro is much lower. Sure. I think that's where we're at. That's where I'm at. And, and I also think like escape is a much more limit. Like I think the ability to cast Uro out of your graveyard is harder than lingering souls. Of course it is. Like Lingering Souls power it has a much, It has a higher, more restrictive mana cost, and it requires you to exile five cards. Right. Lingering Souls be... cost two one-colored mana. Yes. Yes. And, <laughs> that's why, and the, that's why the floor is higher. Colors. Yeah, yeah. The floor is higher on Lingering Souls because it's just always going to be good right. in a deck that can cast it both halves, right? Like, yeah. Uro, whereas Uro. Uro, like, you need to do a little bit of work. But I think it can spawn entire archetypes like this. I mean... Right now, we're seeing Uro, like, just getting slotted into decks for the most part. Like, slotted into blue-green decks that want to play extra mm-hmm. lands and, like, well, maybe want to maybe want a recursive threat. This is a deck that strikes me as, like, being built around Uro. Like, this deck was built because Uro exists, and it takes maximum advantage of Uro, and it's freaking nasty. Because it has, like, <laughs> multiple ways to get into your graveyard, m- then takes advantage of those multiple ways to get into your graveyard to power out Delirium using Emrakul or Traverse. It then... And what's the what's the spider Ishkana? Yeah. What does Ishkana do? <laughs> oh, Ishkana's dope. Uh, four green, three five legendary creature spider reach delirium when Ishkana grave graph widow enters the battlefield. If there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, put three one one two green spider creature tokens with reach onto the battlefield. Target opponent loses one life for each spider they control for four and a black. Um, it was it was a big so. In Innistrad Limited, one of the best strategies was spider spawning, which this is then a big reference to in many ways because it has it's like it's like the legendary spider spawning. Well, and like, you know, Mark Rosewater's blog where everybody is always like, Mark, when are we getting legendary? Insert my favorite creature type here. And he got a lot of requests for spider like, oh, giant spider has been in since alpha. Like spiders are so cool. Give me a legendary spider. And so here's the legendary spider. We're still missing, you know, plenty of fan favorites like legendary crab or legendary jellyfish and whatever. But we'll get there. Where's the crab? We'll get there. Crab, Michael. Where's the legendary crab? Uh, This deck is also playing uh, a little bit of a planeswalker suite, which is pretty common in black green based mid-range decks which mm-hmm. i would say that this is um, well, Lil- liliana the last hope takes advantage of the graveyard being being full um and then nissa and stocks it a little bit and stocks it and then nissa who shakes the world is just really good when it's in play 
Yeah, Nintsuzu Shakes the World <laughs> is, I think, a card that is just going to become a staple of Modern and Pioneer and obviously is dominating standard as well. Uh, it's just very... Generates a lot of mana, generates a lot of value, uh, protects itself, has a legit ultimate. It's just what you want out of a Planeswalker. It's so interesting that this is the best Nissa ever printed and no one was talking about it for the first six months of it being legal. That's because it was in the set War of the Spark. <laughs> and if you're not aware, that set made a lot of history. <laughs> uh, I'm Okay, so of the Gatewatch, not the best Gideon, not the best Jace, but top three Jace, maybe? For sure, top five? Role player Jace, I mean. What? Role, it's definitely a role player yeah, Jace. Yeah. Like, the decks where you're going to play Wilder of Mysteries, none of the other Jaces are going to do the job. Right, right, right. It, it It is a... Well, it has an ability. It's, it's best to fairy. The fairy-y. other Jaces are just really good. Best Probably. to fairy. Yeah. The other two Teferis are heavy hitters. Yeah, yeah. In- all Teferis are good. <laughs> all four of them? Can't wait for M2021. <laughs> uh, oh, I have a piece of artwork to show the world. Uh, and then... Um, the, uh, we can just have Marshall put it on the screen, right? Yeah. yeah. Show, like showing I'm your phone to show the cameras. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to just send it to Marshall. Um, so I guess, yeah, this is the best Chandra, not the best. Okay. So of the gatewash, not necessarily all the best, best, but like most expensive, non, uh, most expensive standard card of all time in, out of Liliana. <laughs> yeah. Not of all time. Yeah. Of all time. It is the most, I believe she's the most expensive standard card. That'd be an interesting stat variant. if we can verify that. But but regardless, like if we talk about the planeswalkers that we've seen in these decks, we've seen like a bunch of Teferis, we've seen a bunch of Jace Wielder of Mysteries, mm-hmm. we're seeing a Nissa here. I guess Liliana the Last Hope is not a Warwalker and Vringe Prodigy isn't a Warwalker. Vringe Prodigy Vr- Jace Vringe Prodigy isn't, and we saw uh Soren. Nahiri. We did N- see Soren. But like about half of the planeswalkers getting played in these pioneer decks are more of the spark walkers mm-hmm. and 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 if you really encompass all of 2020 or 2019 oh no War of the spark is but like we haven't even talked about like narset and we haven't talked about but i'm just saying like <laughs> why why weren't people talking about nissa who shakes the world until she started dominating standard well it's because uh it's 16 other because better planeswalkers yeah. that are all and that's saying a lot and the fact that, like, Corsair Crucifix adds enchantment into the yard to help with Delirium. Uh, Walking Walk. Ballista adds artifact. Nissa and Liliana add Planeswalker. Like, it, it is doing a lot of work to kind of differentiate its card. Yeah, decks. you can tell, like, that this deck was very carefully constructed and the numbers are, like, highly tested, right? Like, I don't think Joel Larson just threw this together the night before the tournament and was like, yeah, three Jace Friends Prodigy, two Corsair Crucifix. That's definitely what I need. Right. Zero Assassin's Trophy in the 75. Yeah, you can tell that he tested this a lot. And like these numbers are very carefully considered, which Mm -hmm. isn't to say that they're optimal, especially given that like the results of these tournaments is going to shift the meta. Um, But yeah. And then you, this is another deck similar to the bring delight deck where layer one, what do you put in your deck? Right. (laughs) (laughs) How many of them do you put layer two is like, what do you find with your traverse? Do you just cast it to get a basic land right now? Mm -hmm. Like, is that what you need or do you, you need to save it, to it or it's much more powerful? Yeah. And, and you know, what do you, what creatures do you put in your sideboard right mm-hmm. now? He's got one reclamation stage, one hostage taker, uh, and an extra tireless tracker as like additional traverse targets in the sideboard. But obviously like once you open up your entire 75 to traverse the Olvenwald, 
you have like unlimited options right. just in deck building. <laughs> it, it feels it feels like so there's like a deck building, um, and we did a really early in the podcast with Glenn Jones. We kind of did a whole episode on uh, I think it was sideboarding or like how to build a sideboard. And it, it one of the ways we went over was the elephant deck building concept, where you take every card possible, and every matchup you play, you just build the best possible deck against them out of that out of that card pool and you like slowly start and like maybe you have an engine you start with but like you slowly just like figure out what your 75 is and then through that you slowly start figuring out which cards are sidebar cards and which ones aren't so it's like a more of a like holistic version of deck building and this does look like a deck taking advantage of that where it's like how many courses of a curse do I need against every matchup? Like, and when do they become bad? How are they good? What's the percentage of matchup they're good against? Oh, it's 20%. Okay, we want it for 20%. What's that look like as a percentage of my deck in 75? And, and like, that's how you get to decks where you see a bunch of weird numbers, but it all ends up making sense and working where you have two Grizzly Savage, one Walking Ballista, two Abrupt Decay, four Fatal Push. Why four Fatal Push? Yeah, I mean, like the one ofs make sense because those are just the cards that he decided I absolutely need access to these in my main deck via Traverse. Correct. Or at least I need access in my 75 and I prefer it main versus, versus sideboard, salt right? Like you have yeah. X number of slots for traverse targets. These are the ones that I want one of. But it's like the twos and threes that strike me as like like three traverse. This is a deck built around traverse in some ways, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that Uro is the most important card in the deck personally. But I think that traverse is the second most important card in the deck. And having built around it. There's only three. Like there's there's so, an argument that you could cut a blooming marsh for a traverse and Joel Larson is multiple pro tour winning magic player. That is much better than most, if not all, uh, not all, but, um, like there's a reason he only went with three versus four and went with the higher land count. Like there's reasons you make those decisions. Um, right. And, and you know, there's also like three fabled passage, one castle Garenbrig where like you might think, Oh, it's delirium. I just want four fabled passages. Mm-hmm. I'm playing a three color deck. I am relatively mid-rangey and the taps land doesn't hurt me too much. I just want four Fable Passage. I, I just, I don't think it's just like he's a good magic player and this sprung fully formed from his head like Athena from Zeus. No, I agree. I, no, think I think that it was he, hard work and testing. Right. I think that, I think that this deck shows hard work. Yeah. Like, like a lot of the inverter decks look like they could have been thrown together the night before. I don't think that that's true for most of the players who were successful because in order to top eight one of these events, you have to be well you practiced. Have to, you have to be well practiced. But but a lot of the deck lists just look like, oh yeah, four, 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 I got some flex slots, we'll do one of this removal spell, two of that removal spell, enter, right. submit. But like this deck, you can tell like a lot of hard work was put into getting the numbers right on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, so that's that's it for the episode. That's that's the last piece of information. Yeah, so there were there were a couple of decks that uh, we may have briefly mentioned, but uh, these are things that did not top eight. But I think if since this is the first professional level pioneer event, this is kind of defining the meta significantly more than anything has defined the pioneer meta yet. More so than like you know all the streams and well, same, same SCGs like and stuff. When a modern pro tour has happened in the past, it totally restructured what modern looked like afterwards because you find out what are what the best players in the world think are the best decks. And normally they have some version of the answer correct behind those decisions. And even the ones that don't do very well came to those decisions for a reason and add the layer of people that did well. Right. And we still have Phoenix, which is going to have most of the North American players in it, which like, you know, 
North America has a distinct advantage in the competitive scene. And so a lot of the more well-known players are North American. And so we're definitely going to see some results from that that might be surprising because those players are going to take these results into account. Mm -hmm. And we might see Demir Inverter just get crushed because everyone metagames against it. Even though it's the best deck coming out of the weekend, uh, that remains to be seen. But that said, other notable decks from these, uh, Simic Ramp is kind of uh, been much more successful at these events than Mono Green uh, as like the the Eldrazi deck in the format. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mono White Heliod was a big player. Uh, most of the decks that were successful actually were a little more mid-rangey, maybe playing Elspeth Conquers Death and Stasis Snare and stuff like that rather mm-hmm. than going the White Reenie route. Um, but those decks are just kind of Heliod Devotion decks with often with Nykthos, uh, doing some big mana stuff, sometimes playing Leyland of Sanctity, as mm-hmm. you saw online. Uh, is it in Soul is another of the premier aggro decks in the format. It's the affinity of the format, so to speak. Uh, you don't have any actual affinity cards or Arcbound Ravager or Cranial Plating. You're missing all the all the Mirrodins. But you have all the make things into five fives. But you got you can make some guys into five fives. And you have Shrapnel Blast and um and so yeah, you're you're just playing Ginger Brute and you're making it into a five five mm-hmm. and you're just hitting them with a 5-5 ginger brute until they die. And Bow McCrory, right? Those and then you're the throwing two, it into their face. the two hasty one-drops. Yeah. Yeah. Hasty one-drops. Are they playing the, the what's the, like, the, it was made for Morph, but plays in Infinity decks? Ghost Fireblade? Uh, they're playing Hope of Gearpoor, Stone Coil, Serpent, Bow McCrory, or Ginger Brute as their, oh, they are playing four Ghost Fire Blade. This deck that I screenshotted is playing four Ghost Fire Blade, two Shadow Spear. Cool. Uh, and they're sense. also playing... Uh, hazard the firmament also skilled animator as another extra copies of in soul okay. that's one of the premier aggro decks in the format i would say uh, although i think that this ephemia deck is doing a lot of similar things we might start to see it uh as an alternative sure although you get burned in this deck like shrapnel blast like double shrapnel blast sometimes is just uh jeej sure Azorius Control, obviously a player. It's the big control deck in the format other than Inverter. It does not have a combo win, but it's like more hard control with Teferis and Planeswalkers and Supreme Verdicts. There has never been a format in my life of playing Magic where there wasn't an Azorius Control deck trying. Yep. (laughs) There's Black Green Stompy. Uh, Didn't do super well, but I think it's really cool. It's uh, like a Rotting Regisaur into Great Henge or Galta base deck. Sometimes they're playing Steel Leaf Champion, just like uh, pelt collector they're just playing like cheap oversized creatures and using those cheap oversized creatures to power out great henge or uh or galta which are just cheap oversized threats uh that is a deck to watch out for and also there was a jeskai fires deck that was not very popular there was only one person who was able to do well with it but uh, I do think it's a deck to watch out for after this event because I think people who are paying attention are going to see that it's good and pick it up. Uh, the Jeskai Fires deck was playing a lot of what you would expect to see in standard Jeskai Fires, but the Axis of Supreme Verdict is kind of like really, really strong yeah, because yeah. you get to play Fires into Supreme Verdict on turn four, uh, and that's really good. So uh, they were also playing like a little, you know, Fae of Wishes action uh, similar to standard. But yeah, well, I think, check I think out the Jeskai Fires really list. It's a good important. one card for jessica fires right because it's like i mean it it's very good i don't yeah, know yeah. that it's like essential but well being being able to like on the turn afterwards play that and play any card out of your 15 is like pretty important i feel like for that card being as powerful as it is yeah that's fair so yeah so so thanks guys everyone thanks michael um for taking over thank you alex month. for coming happy on my show birthday. happy birthday happy birthday alex <laughs> uh, and thank you for coming on my wow. show wow kidnapping everything
Uh, well, I've just, you know, it's, you it's my it. show now. You yeah, already yeah, said it. It's fair. It's official. <laughs> um, thanks, everyone. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, at the MMCast. I'm at Kess Wiley. I'm at uh, Dudard, D-U-D-A-R-D-D. Uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. If you're on iTunes, uh, write a review. Yeah, we, we, I, we don't think we've asked for that in a long time. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. Once again, Ben will be doing a daily uh, 10 Minutes of Magic on our YouTube channel. So make sure to keep track. And, and for sure, during weekdays, I, I don't want to guarantee on weekends so like five out of seven days a week um we've been doing he'll do it frequently when he's able yes. and has good ideas <laughs> uh you can also uh i've been streaming uh pioneer and modern and standard and brawl and maybe more uh and my twitch channel twitch.tv are we gonna Kesko. see some soul tide delirium action Absol- perhaps uh, absolutely absolutely <laughs> i need to figure out which of these cards i own already because it's like 500 tickets and i don't have that much money but i like Oof. have like most of this mana base and half these cards. So, uh, so really excited to play some Salt Eye Delirium. This is a deck made for me. Uh, and so make sure Kes, uh, Kesko, uh, MM, the, the twitch.tv slash Kesko. Thanks guys. And we'll talk to you guys next week. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.